morning, everyone. Welcome to Heritage Christian Church. My name is Pastor John. It's great to have you with us here this morning as we worship the Lord together. It's kind of hard to get out of that worship mode. I want to just thank you if you're a guest with us this morning. It's good to have you here with us. We are a church that's continuing on a journey to grow in our faith. We certainly don't have it all perfectly mapped out. But we do, uh, we are a church that's continuing to grow and uh, continuing to grow spiritually, continuing to grow closer to Christ in our relationship. So if that's something you're looking for, that's something that we're doing together. And, uh, so I want to welcome you if you're a guest today. And also just let me know that if there are uh, questions or people in the this morning, then you call a connection card. And if you could take a few moments at some point during the service and fill that connection card out. We actually have an offering box right at the very back. You can drop it right in the offering box and it'll be out. And that's just for us to better connect with you. Of course, you have questions about our church. If you'd like to be put on an email list or a texting group, uh, we can do that for you. You know, keep updated on what's happening in our church. And we also have these little welcome to hear packages, which we can get to you right after service as well, right at the front desk. So let you know a little bit about who we are and the ministries that we have as a church. And so we want to welcome you today. And if you're watching online, we want to welcome you as well. Thank you for being here with us. And I also wanted to let you know, we're going to be hearing a lot about this in the upcoming months, but starting in January, which gives us enough leeway to talk about this a lot, uh, we are starting something called the Bible Engagement Project. And we're going to do this as a church because I believe it's important, especially in the world that we live in, so much biblical illiteracy, that we gather together as a church, not just to read scripture for ourselves, but also to engage it in community with one another. And so the Bible Engagement Project is one of those things that are coming together, especially for churches, to gather together in the name of Christ, to continue to build community, but also to engage God. So it's not a Bible study. It's not where you're going to sit here in a pew and Pastor John's going to tell you all the latest things I learned in the latest commentary that I read, or take you to the Greek or the Hebrew. That's not what this is for. This is about engaging God's Word together. There's some reading time for you personally. There's also even some readings if you'd like to do it as a family. So it's kind of an all-inclusive type of project. We want God's people to engage in God's Word because we know how important that is. But when we begin to engage in God's Word, we see God begin to move because we begin to understand God's promises and His truth in a world that's so full of lies. You have to be able to spot the truth before you can determine what's the lie, right? So it's important for us as a church. It's important for uh, believers in Christ. Now, we don't have all the details yet. I can't tell you when it's going to be at the time. We're still kind of learning on some things to figure out some of those details. We might shift some things around to make it work. Uh, we want to make sure that as many people can get there as possible. So if you're in the evening and you can't get there, we're going to try to find a ride for you and take you here because it's that important. We want to make sure that we're doing what we do as a church to gather together in the name of Christ and engage here this morning. We look forward to that. And if you've been here, you know we are been in a series called We Are the Movement for quite a while now. And man, doesn't it seem like we're sitting in Acts quite a bit? Because that's where we see the first big movement of the Church of Christ. And of course, we also have been talking a lot about the persecution that, that came with being a follower of Christ during that time. Not only during that time, but also throughout history. And uh, you have the unfortunate uh, luck of Pastor John reading through Fox's Book of Martyrs, so you get to hear some of those stories about some of the persecution. 
people who came and came from class. And, uh, and so we are a movement. And one of the questions we've been asking from the book of Acts is, how did the church grow like it did? Especially given the obstacles that it faced each and every day. Literally, their lives were on the line. And there was this intense persecution. We see that even in Paul, who was once Saul, who came to persecute him, fight against this church. But somehow, in the midst of all of that, and the Roman uh, persecution that happened, in the midst of all that, this church continued to grow and add to their number over and over again. So we've been talking about this from the perspective of what was the early church doing right so that they could continue to withstand the persecution that they faced and continue to grow in the power of the Holy Spirit. What are we missing in the church today? I think there's some clues for us as we've been going through this series about what this looks like. And we get a small glimpse of this in a little Pentecostal revival some of you have heard about, probably most of you have heard about, called Azusa Street. Right? This is where in the Amer America, especially, the Pentecostal revival began in a small place on Azusa Street in California. And this also led to many other Pentecostal denominations that have come out of this Azusa Street and also led to the formation of the Assemblies of God. You, you might remember that in the early 1900s there was this revival that brought uh, a focus in on the worship and work of the Holy Spirit in every one of our lives. Where for a long time it had been This revival led actually to a great expansion in missions all around the world as people felt sent out, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to reach the lost for Christ. In 1914, there were around 300 leaders and lay people that met together in a place called Hot Springs, Arkansas. Anybody ever been? And so what they were doing is they were gathering, gathering together to promote unity and also to talk about some of the issues that Out of this came the formation of the Assemblies of God, and the founders expressed the desire. This is what their desire was in forming this group to achieve the greatest evangelism that the world has ever seen. To achieve the greatest evangelism that the world has ever seen. So, this movement started with spirit filled believers who took seriously the Bible's message about the lostness of humanity, about God's love for the world the saving work of Christ, and the role of God's people to bring salvation. Why? Because as we've talked about in the past, the Holy Spirit brings what God is doing inside all the way to the outside. That's what we saw in Pentecost. It started in a small room, but then it spilled over to the outside of what was happening there. And the Holy Spirit will always lead us to a mission and always leads us to have a heart for the lost, a heart to achieve the greatest from the same missionary spirit of the early church. That's what we saw in the early church. So it's our shared mission. It's a mission of the early church. It's our mission as well. It's God's mission for us, for his followers, for his believers. Now for some of you, this is just a refreshing course. You've heard a lot of this before when it comes to our call to evangelism, to reach the lost. But sometimes we need a refresher course. I don't know about you, but I, I sometimes will go back and reread books that I read in college. There's some things that I need to continually be refreshed on, things that I need to relearn, 
things I need to remember, all the things I have learned over the years. And this is almost like a one-on-one class in a sense. But these are the very words of Jesus, the very calling of Jesus upon his people. So when we ask the question, what are we supposed to do? When we ask the question, what are we called to do? What is our mission as Christ followers? What is our mission as the people of God? Let's start the passage in Matthew, and then go to the Gospels, of course. So most of us are familiar with this passage, Matthew 28, 19. And it says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I want you to see, again, this is, for some of you, you've heard it a million times, but I want you to see this. The first step is go. The first step is go. And in the Greek, it gives a sense of while going. While I'm going, while you're living, while you're doing things, go. The next step is to make disciples. And in order to make a disciple, it implies some form of relationship. See, helping people grow in their faith, teaching them about what it means to follow Christ, that's what discipleship is. It's not a program. It's not a curriculum, although those are used successfully. But it's about relationship. It's about teaching what you know. It's about where God has brought you. I remember hearing one particular podcast that talked about evangelism, and one guy said, you know what? I when I was when I first came to Christ, I was a young man, I never grew up in the church, I didn't know what I was talking about. And then I led somebody else to Christ, and they had no idea what, what was going on as far as faith goes. And he found that when I began to disciple that person, I didn't have to know it all. I just had to be one step ahead of them. Right? Just one step ahead of where they were. And that's what, how discipleship works. Mark 16, 15. So we've got Matthew, Mark. What are the other two? You can test it easier. See if you need to be in that Bible page. <laughs> so we got Mark. And Mark 16, 15 says, And then he told them, Go, notice the word again, into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. So there it is again. The first step is go. It also gives the same sense of while going. While going. And the next step is to preach the good news to everyone. So I need to make sure you're with me so far. We're only through two Gospels. There's a couple more left. So the first thing we see is go. And we see that two times in the first two Gospels. The second thing we see is make disciples, and the third thing we see is preach the good news to everyone. Three steps. So now on to Matthew and Mark. Let's see what Luke. What did they say? Luke 24, 47 to 48 says, It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent, who are witnesses of these things. The implication here that the audience that Jesus is speaking to, his followers, would be the ones proclaiming the, name, the, the message to the nations. What's the message? That there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. That's the message. But I want you to notice something else, too, that we've already been talking about from Acts, but let's just go back to that. It says, you are witnesses of these things. What's that word? Witnesses. Right? We've talked about that. When you're in a court of law, when you're a witness, 
You're not there to tell what you don't know. You're there to tell what you witness, what you've experienced, what you've done. You will be witnesses. So it says, you are my witnesses in these things. So how will you be a witness in these things? Because you'll be doing it. You're going to have a first-hand account of what God is doing. And on to John here, John chapter 20, verse 21. Again, he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus was sent to this earth with a purpose. You have, and I have, a purpose for being sent. You're not just sent just to go and wander around, you're sent with a purpose. There's always a reason. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And of course, the passage we've been talking about in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, you will be my witnesses. all together. Let's make it personal. We are called to go. Two times we see that. We are called to go and while going. We are called to make disciples. We are called to preach the good news to everyone. We are to proclaim the forgiveness of sins to those who repent. We are to be witnesses, we see this two times, of what we have seen and experienced. And we are sent by the power of the Holy Spirit to change hands and worlds. Now, many have unknowingly used the quote falsely attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. And I have used this quote as well until I read an article saying that he never said it. <laughs> Although it's a great quote. <laughs> Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, This is not found in any of his writings, but I do understand the sentiment of the See, we don't want to preach something that we're not living out. We want people to be drawn to Christ through our actions, through the way that we live, through how we serve, through how we help. But it puts a false dichotomy between words and action. It has to be one or the other. You should just live it, and somehow they're going to get saved because you live it. Or you can just say it. Somehow they're going to say it just because you say it when they look at your life. It's not you. What if we live out the gospel and use words? Mind blowing. Mind blowing. We can do both of those things. It's pretty crazy, right? What if we did both? How much power would there be in our witness and sharing the gospel with someone else? If both by action and deed and by word,
what we're seeing as the gospel presentation. That's what we're seeing. Jesus commanding his followers to do. The call to go. The call to make. The call to preach. The call to proclaim. The call to be witnesses. And the call to be sent. This part to achieve the greatest evangelism the world has ever seen. This needs to be a big break in the Catholic Church today. Interesting when you look at some of these statistics from the Assemblies of God and uh, you know, from their humble beginnings of the 800 people and what's become over these years. Just under 3 million adherents are here in the U.S. alone. Like, about 85 million. In America, there's 12,479 churches. In America, and over 434,000 worldwide. There are 5,268 missionaries in the U.S. and around the world. And every 54 seconds, a conversion takes place to an 18 Christian minister somewhere in the world. See, the God is exploding worldwide, including here in the U.S.
you might remember that there's a pretty simple outline that Peter had. Just three steps. Three-part outline. Simple message. What Christ has done. Let me kind of adapt it a little bit. What Christ has done for you. What Christ has done for you. Second, God's plan to redeem you. God's plan to redeem you. So that's the forgiveness aspect. And then a call to repentance. any of us are grasped. And this simple message given through the power of the Holy Spirit pierced the heart of you as a man. You may say, well, Pastor, that was a long time ago. And people now are not the same as the people then. And maybe in some senses you're right. There certainly was more of a religious Still lonely today, or they're the most connected generation in the world. In the stillness of night, are people still feeling a deep sense of shame and guilt? Quietness in the stillness of night. Are there still broken lives in the world? Well, if we have them all fixed, then okay, then we get a pass. But are there still broken People still being abused physically, emotionally, verbally, sexually, spiritually. Is there a longing for pain that people don't care about? Are there people who struggle with belonging? People who struggle with identity? People who struggle with purpose? You see, the mission is still the mission. in life sooner or later where they begin to question the purpose of their lives. Many would never admit it, but they sense that there has to be something more than just living and dying. There has to be something more than just collecting a bunch of stuff. When they come to a place where they realize that the consequences of their poor decisions are Drops a lot of 
pulls them up, saves them, and pulls them out of that danger. You can see that this is what God did for us. What he can do for a people, he can do for you. Because today is the day of salvation. First, our motto is always recognize God is always Save the lost is what drives the message. Without people living out the mission, the church does not grow. The assemblies of God does not grow. The kingdom of God does not grow. The paradise does not grow. A hundred and twenty people are in that upper room at Pentecost. And Jesus had given them the mission that they were going to be a witness to the Empowered by the Holy Spirit, they share the mission. Their relationships were centered around mission. The mission was the driving force for a man named William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army. But at first, he wrestled with this idea. This is in his biography where he talks about his struggle. He says, Time and time again, his eyes would stray from the thousand strong congregation that he was assigned to, to the miles of mean slate rooms How many of those councils remain with Christ in this world? Why am I here with this crowded chapel of people who want to hear the message? Why am I not outside bringing the message of God to those who don't? So he decided to give up his church and take to the streets. Here's one story of what happened. See, the poorest and the most degraded were present in Booth's street sermons. Would gather around. Booth, of course, knew where they were all congregating in a place called the Bottoms of Nottingham, in the notorious slum of the town. The men shunned church and shunned visiting church. These lost sheep, these are the lost sheep, these are our people. And those who made part of a Broad Street congregation. The minister seated comfortably in his red plush throne, the comfort of voices swelling in the evening hymns. The chapel's outer door suddenly shattered open, and in its wake come a shuffling, shabby contingent of men and women, wilting nervously under the stealthy stares of bill managers, shopkeepers, and their well-dressed wives. In the rear marked willful Will Booth, blocking the efforts of the Booth was actually ushering in his charges, none of whose clothes would raise five shillings in the pawn shop into the very best seats. Facing the pulpit whose occupants held fancy paper pins. This was unprecedented for the poor, if they hate the chapel, entered by another door to be segregated on benches without backs or cushions behind a partition that screened off the pulpit. Here, though the service was audible, they could not see, nor could they be seen. Oblivious to the mounting atmosphere, Booth joined full-throatedly in the service. Even, he later admitted, hoping this devotion to duty might create some special commendation. Look at all these people I brought to church. All 
too soon, he learned the unpalatable truth that since Leslie's day, Methodism had become Christianity. His service done, Moon found himself facing a drumbeat of demons, and their destruction left no room for hope. In the future, Booth brought back a group, Booth brought back such a flock to chapel, they would enter through the side door and sit in the seats. Head bowed, Booth accepted the rebuke, but in many ways, his future gestures meant to symbolize the entire career of those men and women who would one day He was approached by a critic who was criticizing his evangelizing style. They didn't like what he was doing. And so Moody asked this person a fair question. Well, how do you do evangelism? And the man admitted that he did not. So D.L. Moody's response was, it is clear that you don't like my way of doing evangelism. You can raise some good points. Frankly, there's sometimes I do not like my way of evangelism. However, I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. <laughs> I want you to notice one more thing as we're closing up here. Acts 2.47 says, In each day the Lord added to the fellowship those who were being saved. They were not motivated to add people to boost their numbers, nor be them Those who were being saved. So you can have the greatest show on the field. We can give away a bunch of free stuff and get people healed. Okay, we can have a keg party. How about the masses? Yeah. I know there's nothing wrong with drawing people to church and doing that. Okay, more work. It takes more effort. It takes discipleship. That is how you build a church. That's how you build a church that stands strong in the midst of the fires and the storms and the struggles that we see in our world. And I'm going to challenge you this morning. This movement that we're all a part of. If you're a, if you're a Christ follower, you're a part of this movement. I want to talk about Sunday of God and Pentecostal and all that. If you're a follower of Christ, you are a part of this movement. And it started with some spirit-filled believers who took seriously the Bible's message about the lostness of humanity. They said, here I am, here I am. Here's me for your purposes. What if we with the power of the Holy Spirit that we know that we can see the Savior of those who are lost and see the comfort? Who are lost in the sea of guilt, who are lost in the sea of sin. What about my life in camp? How would you do? What if you're my life and my life? Always ready. Always ready to share the good news of Christ. Always ready to share what Christ has done in my life. Always, always ready to share the redemption that God has given through His Son Jesus Christ. Always ready. 
condemned by Amy Crosby, who you may recognize as a rescue the perishing. That's another of those words in the chorus. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and grave. Weep for the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them that Jesus is mighty to save. That's the refrain. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus is saved. Early church was committed to the call to go make disciples. They were committed to preach and proclaim Jesus Christ and be witnesses for him. They were willing to be sent wherever the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit sent them to go. And my challenge to you, my challenge to us as a community, is can we Commit ourselves to be obedient to the same things that the early church committed themselves to. Building disciples to preach and proclaim, to be a witness for Christ, and to be willing to be sent. Let me pray. Are you willing to be sent? Are you willing to obey that?
you've ever given your life to Jesus Christ. Let's share the same prayer. Repeat it after me. Let the King ask his name. He has heard me about you. He has sustained me from truth. He's protected me through years of abuse. He's forgiven my sins that I don't have. I felt like giving up because provided for a friend and miraculous ways that you can never believe. God has a plan for your life. And in the same way he has redeemed my life, redeemed yours. He was crucified on the cross as your atonement for our sin. You do not have to dwell in sin. you're crucified on the cross to take the punishment of my sins, forgiving my
Okay, the next computer.